Welcome to the Dimensions book series by K. Arwen. An extraordinary tale of an inner journey and a battle of good against evil. In this podcast, the heroine Kaya tells her own story from book one, The Awakening. Our journey begins on the Scottish Isle of Skye. Parallel realities interconnect and interweave. Step in and enter Dimensions. I sighed and pushed the chair back from the kitchen table, rubbing the back of my neck, feeling the hot pain of cramp shoot down my shoulders. I used to have an office, a proper workstation and a chair that was the right height for my desk and my laptop. But here that isn't an option. It's not that we haven't got the space but rather because my current partner of two years refuses to allow me to work in the study where he set up his computer. Two years, and not so much a thought of me working here. Two years, and where has that time gone? I have to push the train of thought from my mind. It's too dangerous. I know I'll leave him eventually. I keep telling myself that I will. And one day I'll see it through. I'm not from here. I'm at the mid- in the Midlands at the moment, but I'm from the Isle of Skye. I wasn't born there, hence I haven't got a Scottish accent. But that's where I've lived most of my life. And that's where my heart is. There's a saying, you can take the girl out of the Isle of Skye, but you can't take the Isle of Skye out of the girl. And it's really true. And Rick, that's my partner, he hates it. He hates the fact that my heart belongs up there, up in the wilds of Scotland with its magical forests and high mountains. A land seeped in mystery and mythology. But here, here's work. Well, it would be work if I had a proper desk. I sit looking at the heap of articles on past life that are on the kitchen table next to my laptop. I've been reading them along with the other online accounts all about past life experiences for nearly three hours and to be honest I'm finding it tedious. It's not that the actual stories aren't interesting, quite the contrary. 
I found that the recalled places, the relationships and the life experiences that some of these people have had, well, quite frankly, they're amazing. Yet the more I read and unearth, rather than feeling encouraged as to the truth about past life, I'm feeling more and more dissatisfied. I've even located lots of individuals who can recall past life so closely and so specifically that they remember the people's names, the faces and the places that they used to live. I've even been to interview them. Their memories of the relationships and how their life ended are so uncannily detailed, it's unbelievable. And in order to verify what they told me, I've taken photographs of them and of the places that they described and showed me. I took them to my friend Jim. You don't know about Jim yet. I haven't told you, have I? Well, Jim's a friend of mine who's a historian and an archaeologist. He works in one of the Oxford colleges in the city centre. He's a bit of an eccentric and an oddball. He's a lovely guy, but he's one of those people that's more interested in digging in the dirt than how he looks. And to be honest, I don't know how Oxford employs him to be one of their lead professors. If you saw the state of his study, you'd understand totally what I mean. But Jim seems to manage to find his way around and has a habit of finding the most obscure records and books tucked away in that unholy mess of a place. Anyway, I asked Jim to dig around into the events that the people described and to see if there was any correlation in the historical records that he could trace. And he's made massive inroads and helped me research the article. But still, there's something niggling me about the whole thing to do with past life. Shuffle through the papers on the, on the desk here, and although I'm well suited to my work as a columnist, actually, I'm more than suited... I really excel at it. I've got this inquiring mind. You know the sort. I'm one of those people that always asks the question, why? Why this? Why that? Why does that happen? Why do people say that? Why why does that have to be that way? Even as a child, I had a habit of wanting to know why things were the way they were and why people behaved the way they did and treated one another the way they did. And it hasn't always been a blessing. Although my uncannily acute perception, as some people call it, is well suited to being a columnist and working for the magazine, growing up, it actually caused me to experience many uncomfortable situations. And I've often found myself at the end of other people's negativity Basically, it seems I rub people up the wrong way, including my current partner, 
who is constantly reminding me that I'm the cause of his drinking, his bad moods and his vile behaviour. Yet, despite what Rick says, let's not think about him too much. I've got to get through the morning and get this article finished and I can't afford to waste any more time thinking about him. Study the article on top of the pile more closely. It's really interesting. It describes a young boy who has total recall of his life and of being murdered. So much so, when he was older, his parents, more to stop his disturbing thoughts, had investigated his story. And it turned out that the child's recall was so accurate that the murderer, who was still alive at the time, was charged and convicted for the crime. How awesome is that? I put the article down to one side. That's going to be one of the major sections of my article. And the other angle that I really want to include by way of contrast is that of soul love. I mean, how awesome is that? Soul love. Love existing throughout time and throughout lives. There's a second article here about a couple who both recalled each other from their previous lifetime and knowing in their current life that each other existed somewhere, they spent years searching for one another until they finally met again. That's going to be the second major section of my article. If only it was like that for everyone. We wouldn't have to make do with breadcrumbs of relationships, thinking that this is the best shot at love that we've got. Was that why I'm feeling so disgruntled about the article and writing about past life? Am I jealous? I sit staring into space, lost in thought for a moment. No, I'm not the jealous type, so what is it? I can feel an energy in my stomach, a bit like butterflies, but more intense. Why? Why do I feel so pulled? I know that something inside of me is trying to draw my attention to the stories in the articles. Somewhere and somehow there's a message in them. I should be paying attention to it, but what is it? Does it mean that perhaps I could experience something similar? Perhaps I could meet a long-lost love from another era and end up blissfully happy in an amazing relationship in this lifetime? No, that can't be right. That's impossible. All men are complete idiots, control freaks or taken. (laughs) One of my dogs, a shaggy-haired ginger spoodle, has been sitting by my feet beneath the table, looking at me hopefully, and she's padding to the kitchen door. You should be so lucky, I say, crossing to the kitchen side to put the kettle on. I've got stacks more work to get through. I put two heaped tablespoons of coffee into the waiting cafetiere and then pause. Nah, I'm putting another one, just for luck. The dog whines and goes and mopes in the corner. Bah humbug, I say. I've already taken you out for a six kilometre run with me today. So don't give me that. I haven't had a walk look. There's a bang at the front door as it's shut with a slam and it seems to shake the entire house. 
glancing at the kitchen clock. I cringe. I can feel my energy contract. Rick's back early. Throwing a concerned look in the direction of the dog, I will her to stay quiet. She gets the message and skulks back under the table to be with her sister. I fill the cafetiere with the boiled water and crossing back to the table, I shut down my laptop and scoop all the papers into the computer case. My partner is called Rec, but my friends call him Dirk. All my friends at the magazine don't like him one iota. He walks into the kitchen now and crosses the room. Whenever he's in the room with me, I use the name that my friends use. It helps me feel detached. So, Dick is surrounded by his usual self-centred air, which at one point, I'm sorry to say, that I used to find attractive. But that was until I'd become aware that that demeanour was not simply from self-confidence, but was more of a reflection of a cold and manipulative interior. But by then, it had all been too late. I'd given up my place up in Scotland and moved in here. How is it that I could be so perceptive and astute in all other areas of my life and even in relationships when it comes to my friends and other people, but yet walk into another relationship disaster when it comes down to me and myself and my relationship. It's a complete mystery. And the thought of it actually drives me crazy. But time and time again, I've felt myself left at a loss, wondering where the guy that i had met has gone. I watch Dick as he crosses to the coffee that I'd made and pours himself one without even bothering to offer to pour one for me. I should leave, right now. I know I should, but somehow I've lost my confidence. My friends say that Dick has undermined me and that it was deliberate on his part to assert control and make sure that I stayed with him. Is that the case? I don't really know anymore. I've thrown myself into my career as a writer by way of distraction. It's not only worked, it has been a distraction, but also I've earned myself a great reputation for my writing. And he hates it. He scowls at the laptop on the table. I thought you were going to do that shite in your van, he says in an aggressive manner. Just on my way out, I reply, scooping up the photographs, laptop and computer case. I'll be on the drive if you want me. Whatever, comes the reply. I whistle my dogs and they hurry out behind me with their tails between their legs. Leaving the house, I cross the drive and go down to my van. I unlock it, breathing in a sigh of relief. My van. My van symbolises my true self. The adventurous free spirit who could and would go wherever the inner urge takes her. My van isn't anything particularly fancy. It's simply a white transit van that's been partially converted into a camper van. Although, I have to admit, 
I did have a sports kit added to its bodywork just because it made me smile. To me, though, it doesn't doesn't quite equate the word sport with a van. Yet the result makes it look really individual looking and gives it a certain je ne sais quoi. And Dick hates it. He's tried times over to persuade me to sell it, but I've stuck to my guns. This is my ticket to freedom and one day I'm going to take it. I slide open the side door of the van and set up the inside to make a makeshift office. I pull out the papers from the computer case and opening my laptop, I tap on the Zoom link for Jim. There's a brief pause before Jim's face appears from the computer screen, surrounded by the usual organised chaos that makes up the inside of his scruffy college digs. A look that he epitomises with his shaggy mad professor hair and unshaven face. Kaya, he exclaims in delight. How's it going? Ah, van, he says, his voice dropping as he notices the interior of the van behind me and understanding the implication. Everything okay? He asks, looking concerned. I smile. Same as, I say, by way of explanation. How did you go with the stories? Jim disappears from the screen for a moment, scrabbling around in his desk and returns with his own pile of paper. He flicks through and holds up a couple of photographs for me to see. Check that out, he said enthusiastically. Look, see how the faces match. Oh my God! I exclaim, a cold shiver of recognition flashing down my spine. The faces of the couple that I'd interviewed about soul love were virtually the same as the people depicted in an old photograph from the early 1900s. Pretty cool, right? Jim says. I've got a few pictures of people which are gold dust, but I've also unearthed written accounts that verify some of the stories that you that your interviewees described. That's fab, Jim, I said. Thanks a lot. Of course, you know it's not just all about past life, don't you? Jim says, looking out from the screen with his professor's I know look. I know that you're really interested in quantum physics. Well, what if there's more to the universe than linear time? I laugh. You're a historian, yet now you're telling me that linear time isn't a true concept. I tease. But Jim stays looking serious. Yes, he says, yes, I am. I've been thinking about your theory that there are multi-dimensions that exist within and around this one. I can accept that linear time is just humanity's way of explaining and recording their experiences. Well, in doing the digging around for you, I came across stories of people interacting with other dimensional beings and having recalls of spending time in other worlds. I look at Jim and don't reply straight away. I've had a feeling about the possibility of multidimensional realities for as long as I can remember. And now Jim is saying that he's actually found evidence that it could be true. 
It feels like a doorway in my heart is opening a doorway to a whole new world. So the entire concept of past life is all wrong, I finally say with a grin. So in writing this article, I'm replacing one limited notion of that being past life not existing with another equally limiting notion that time is a linear line. Jim laughed. Yep, you could say that. I giggled. Great. Imagine me telling that to Lena. I glanced down at my watch and saw the time. I've got to go, Jim. Lena asked me to call. I'll catch you later. Jim puts up his hand and signs off, and I tap the number for the magazine office into the keypad of my laptop. Real Woman magazine, Lena Finch's office, an efficient voice answers. Oh, hi, Bella. It's Kaya. Is Lena available? I'm on my laptop, so I can take a face call. The voice changes and becomes considerably more chatty. Kaya, hi. I'll just check for you. Hold on a sec. There's a pause and then Bella comes back on the line. Yes, Lena's free. She's sending a Zoom link. Thanks, Belle. I open my email and wait for the link to appear and then pressing on it. There's a brief pause and Lena's face appears on the screen. Kaya, I see that you're in your van yet again. I give Lena a half smile. Well, I... Don't you dare make excuses for him, Lena interrupts with a distinct note of distaste at the thought of Dick. Your van's becoming your regular office. Why don't you make it permanent? I'm sorry, I say, despite the fact that I know full well where she's coming from. I'm not one for beating about the push, Kaya, as you know, Lena Lena continues. Your relationship is long past its sell-by date. It only works if you play small. Every success that you have, Dick sulks like a petulant child. I don't want it to affect your work. It won't, I reply a little defensively. It hasn't yet. It was about my work that I'm calling. Lena looks at me expectantly. I hope you're going to make the deadline Friday. Uh, yes, no problem. It's not that. Well, I've been researching a lot of articles about past life and have some great stories that can be verified. I pause, looking at Lena's petite and immaculately made up face. She knows I know full well what the answer to my question is going to be. Well, Lena, you know that I'm really interested in quantum physics and parallel dimensions. Well, I was thinking, I don't want you to think, Lena interrupts impatiently. Just keep the article on past life as we agreed. I feel a bit annoyed by Lena's dismissive attitude. But Lena, I protest, I know that there's more to past life than some linear line that goes back through time. Energy is much more, well, multidimensional if you think about it. Lena looks at her watch as if to indicate that she's spent too long on our call already. Kaya, I don't want to think about it. I've got enough to think about. But, no buts, Lena cuts in to end the call. The deadline's Friday. And Kaya, if multi-dimensions do exist, then I suggest that you jump into another dimension and leave that partner of yours. There's a lot of static, like interference for a moment on the screen and Lena's image is distorted. And I frown, wondering if the Wi-Fi's fallen off. 
But no, checking the connection, it looks all good. Lena comes back into focus. And as she does, I can hear a strange voice speaking. You will leave him, the voice says, sooner than you think. Pardon? I say automatically. Pardon what? Lena says impatiently. Didn't you hear that? I ask her. The static on the line? Yes, I heard it. Look, I've got to go. I look forward to reading your article on Friday, Kaya. Lena signs off and I'm left staring at the blank screen. And now travel into 18th century Scotland. The water flows deep aquamarine, gleaming with light of the morning sun rising to the east that sends shimmering gold and pink across the lock. Oyster catchers parade along the shoreline, searching for their morning fare amid the seaweed that clothes the rocks in deep swathes of green and brown. Iana, the Atlantean, swims faster, trying to catch Pendragon, who's swimming up ahead. She may be merfolk, but she's no match for the Hippocampus. He twists and turns in the water, his mane flowing around him like the seaweed itself. Indeed, when he swims low, it becomes hard to distinguish his form amid the forest of seaweed that waves and swirls in the current of the water. I know that you're hiding, Pendragon, Iana says, and that's cheating. What chance have I got to catch you if you're resting and recharging? As if to answer her question, the Hippocampus shoots out from the seaweed and brushing past her at lightning speed races towards the surface and the shore. Let's see if you can catch me on land then, he laughs in his sing-song voice. Iana smiles. Easy! She swims towards the shoreline where Pendragon is already leaving the water. As he does, his form begins to change, his green frond-like face and neck changing into the head of a beautiful white stallion that matches in colour the white-crested waves. And as he leaps from the water itself, his body becomes a four-legged white horse. Leaping onto the pebbled beach, he rears up on his hind legs, tossing his head in the air, as Iana also changes form and wades from the water. Iana now stands on the beach as a woman, with long auburn hair that's fallen to her waist. Laughing, she runs towards Pendragon, who teasingly trots just beyond her reach, picking up his feet slowly and deliberately, as if mocking her attempt to catch him. Neither of them feel the chill of the spring dawn, and neither do they feel the sharpness of the rocks beneath their feet. For the folk of the sea are immune to such things. They run now across the shoreline as light-footed as the air and the water itself. Enough, you win! Iana laughs, collapsing onto the beach. Pendragon slows down and turning nuzzles his head against her shoulders. You're so beautiful, says Iana, and you're such a good friend. Come, let's run together. She lifts herself up and pulling on his shoulders, pulls herself onto his back. Pendragon begins to gallop along the shoreline faster and faster, just in the water where the waves are breaking, 
Iana laughing as the wind blows her hair out behind her, feeling so free and alive. But elemental or not, she still has duties to perform. Come, we'd better be getting back. Pendragon turns and gallops deeper into the water. As his legs become submerged, they return to being the form of the green fronded covered tail until it looked to the observer that the woman rode a green serpent. And then, as a wave crashes over her, she too changes, becoming a shimmering blue elemental, and they disappear into the water. Kelpies both, mythical creatures. He had first seen them nearly a year ago now. He happened upon them by chance when, forgetting the oars of his boat, he had returned to the shore in the early hours to retrieve them. And he had observed the woman with the white horse galloping along the beach and had known instantly that they were otherworldly. They looked so alive and so free. Perhaps, looking back, he shouldn't have gone back to the beach after that, but he had, time and time again. He couldn't help himself, for he had fallen in love with the woman at first sight. And soon afterwards, he'd started to leave Yana presents on the shore, a bunch of wildflowers and a string of white shells that he collected and made into a necklace. And then one day, Yana waited for him. She waited for him on the beach and they met. And that's where our story will continue in the next episode. Thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you at the next episode of my story from Dimensions The Awakening. And if you'd like to follow Kaya's blog, it's krwin.co.uk. And for more information on the author, check out kayamia.co.uk or centeredresonance.com. Until next time, I leave you all now with some Atlantean light language.